Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys doing? I love, I just love seeing pictures of what God's done for us play themselves out in, in, in our lives. And um, you know how many of us could relate to that, that so many times... We know what God says about us. We hear who He's called us to be. We know the promises that He has. That I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Um, he, and and he, he says all these things to us. So, I love you with an unending love. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But then throughout our lives, we do things and we always kind of wonder, will that be the thing that causes Him to pull away? And I can imagine through Sylvia's life, she would do things and she could see the, the, the reaction that, that Mark had to it. And she probably in her heart was wondering at times, I wonder if that was the thing. I wonder if that was the thing that I was going to do that will finally cause him to pull away, that will finally cause him to throw his hands in the air and say, I tried, I'm done. And if you feel like that about God, I just want to encourage you in this. There is nothing you can do that causes him to throw his hands in the air and walk away and say he's done. He is, he is so much more committed to you than you are to him. Don't for a minute fool yourself and think that the commitment you have to God is greater than his commitment to you. In fact, the commitment that you have to God is only birthed by His commitment to you. The love that you have from Him comes from the love that He's given you. The faith that you have in Him. Even the faith to believe Him is a gift from Him to you. And so there's nothing that you can do that causes Him to throw His hands in the air, look over at Jesus and say, I tried. Let Him go find a different Father. Because there is no other Father out there for you. He's the one. That's why Jesus said, Call no earthly man your Father, for you have one Father and He is in heaven. One Father, and we've all been adopted. Um, so we have been uh, talking about the covenant with God for, it feels like a long time now, um, and going through the steps of covenant because this thread of covenants woven from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. And we've been talking how all the steps that, that were began with Abraham then were continued through the people of Israel and then completed in Christ. And we talked about the walls of blood, how how God Himself had Abraham split an animal in half and the, wall, and the blood would run down in between and, and there would be blood on the sides and they would walk through this blood and walking through the blood of the animals, passing between the animals, was called walking through the walls of blood. And, and this was God's way of signifying that this is a covenant that I'm willing to keep even unto death. And then it cost Him, right? Because He sent Jesus to die for the sin of the world. That He kept His covenant. He made a covenant with man. He said, this is an unending covenant that I'm making with you even to the point of death. And then when man violated the covenant, God honored the covenant and came and died for man. And how the chief people of Israel would have walked through the walls of blood when they walked through in, in the Passover and they painted blood on the door and they painted blood on the sides of the door. And everybody who passed through was covered by that blood and was safe and protected and covered by grace as the angel of death came and passed over. And then Jesus hangs on a cross and the man who said, I am the door. No one comes to the Father except by me. And he hangs on a cross, nailed to it instead of tied to it, and blood runs down the sides. And a crown of thorns shoved into his head and blood runs across the top and every man that passes through him to the Father passes through the walls of blood and is passed over and is given grace and mercy. And it was all God's plan. We talked about the cut of circumcision, how there was a circle cut made to signify covenant, to signify relationship that was unending. 
and how the, the people of Israel had to be circumcised and that it was an outward sign and how everything done on the outward is always done on the inward and in the new covenant. And, and so the outward sign of circumcision is replaced by the circumcision that Galatians tells us. For you were circumcised, but not by the hands of men, but by the Holy Spirit in the cutting away of your flesh from your heart. That each of us is circumcised in, in, as part of the covenant that we have with God, but rather than it being a, a, an outward sign that would mark us as being in covenant with God, now it's an inward sign that enables us to display the presence outwardly. Even Moses understood that. Remember in the Old Covenant, Moses said, if you don't go we're not with us, I will not go. For how will they distinguish us from the people of the world unless your presence goes with us? It wasn't that they were going to pull down their underwear and show people they were in covenant with God. That wasn't what they were planning to do. They wanted the people to know that they were God's people, but not by doing that, they wanted the presence of God to distinguish them from the people of the world. And so because the, they, 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 the people of, of the world back then couldn't recognize the presence of God, uh, God gave them rules, right? Leviticus tells us all about not shaving and, and not wearing blended clothing and not marking your skin and all those things. And that was just a cheap substitution and a temporary replacement because the people's hearts had gone away from him and the presence of God had departed. And so they had to be distinguished from among the people of the world. And so he gave them an outward sign, a set of rules to follow. But then Jesus comes and once again restores the original intent and heart of God. And it's no longer the outward appearance that marks us. It's the very presence of God on our lives that distinguishes us from the world. The exchange of names, right? God comes and He breathes His very name, the very breath of God into Abraham. That sound was the sound that they would say for God's name because they wouldn't speak His name. They didn't dare to speak His name. And so He takes that sound and He adds it to Abram and Abram becomes Abraham. And Sarah becomes Sarai becomes Sarah as the very breath of God is placed into them, the same way the breath of God was placed into dirt and Adam was born. And then Jesus comes and says, receive the Holy Spirit, and once again returns that very breath back into them and breathes on them, and they become different because God's now breathed on them. And when God breathes into something, new life begins. Just as Abraham became a brand new person and a new life began when God breathed, just as that dirt became a new creation and life began when God breathed into it, so when the very breath of God comes into your life and the actual breath of God enters into your life, the Holy Spirit comes in, that you become a brand new person and new life begins. So the name's exchanged and God gives Abraham his name and then God changes his name and becomes, rather than being El Shaddai, the God Almighty, which is how he identified himself to Abraham the first time he talked to him, he's now went, said, from now on, when I identify myself to man, I am naming myself the God of Abraham. And then he's the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who would become Israel. And then he's the God of Israel, the God of his people. And there's an exchange of names there. And then Jesus comes and finalizes it. And the Son of God becomes Son of Man. 37 times in one Gospel He calls Himself the Son of Man. Because He was the Son of God and He came down and became the Son of Man so that we, the sons of man, could become the sons of God. And behold what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And such we are. It's amazing. It's, it's not a little thing. It's not a little deal. It's not just a dry ceremony. It's life-changing stuff that you actually have become a child of God, that you can stand before Him as His son, as His daughter, that you don't have to come before Him with fear and trembling that He won't accept you. You come before Him fearing and trembling in awe and in, rever and in reverence for who He is, but knowing that you belong because you are His child. Knowing that as a father, He welcomes you and He's actually excited to see you. My little girl stayed the night at some friend's house last night and 
when she got here this morning, she came running into the office and threw her arms around me and gave me a big hug. She didn't think, I wonder if I can go in there. I wonder if my dad wants to see me. She knows. She knows she has a place in my heart and that she belongs wherever I am and that she's always welcome to come wherever I am. And God wasn't, wasn't, wasn't satisfied with only one person representing people coming into His presence once a year. So He made a way that all of His people, every single one, for you are all priests. Remember? A royal priesthood. Now you can go into His home. You don't need me to go into His presence for you and bring back the glory on my face fading for you to see. You can go in and access Him yourself and come boldly before His throne and know that you find mercy and grace. It's life. It, what if we believed this, like believed it, believed it, believed it? What if we let everything that happened in our life run through the filter of this covenant that we have with God rather than decide whether the covenant was true by what happened on the outside? What if we refuse to look at things and see them just for they appear because we know that the just will walk by faith and not by sight. My people walk by faith and not by sight. So rather than looking at things and deciding whether the covenant's true, we decide the covenant's true and it changes how we look at things. Wouldn't that be different? It's changed everyone's life that's ever done it. If you read through the Bible and you see the people who understood the covenant that they had with God always did amazing things that other people who had the same covenant couldn't do. So today we're going to talk about, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to shorten this up. I wanted um, Mr. Jordan to be able to share that with you guys because we, we want to celebrate and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and we're so happy that you're a Jordan, Sylvia, <laughs> that it's official. We are. We are. And, 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 and I love that, that it's just making official what was began in the hearts so, so long ago. And you know, that's how it is with God so many times, right? That he, he begins this work, and, and that's why the Bible tells us that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. That we don't always see the name change the instant that the work in the heart begins, but there is a day where all, everything that's happening on the inside is now suddenly displayed on the outside for all the world to see. And when you sign your name on something, you're, you're, the, the exchange of names has happened, that they take you into them, and you've taken their name upon you. And so every time you sign your name, it's a declaration of who you are. It's not the same as who you were. Oh, man. Who you are is not the same as who you were. You're a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is therefore a new creation. Not a fixed up version of himself. Not a a, a remodeled version. He's a new creation. Something that never existed before now exists. A brand new creation. The same word as when God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, something that wasn't there now is because of the power of God. And your life is the same. That something that wasn't there now is because of the power of God come. That's amazing. That's exciting. And that's reason to think that my life doesn't have to look the way it looked before. That, that habits don't matter. That patterns of behavior don't matter. That thought processes, that, that things that were done to me, that damage, that harm that was done to me by people doesn't have to define who I am anymore. That I'm free to love them. I'm free to forgive them. And I'm free to actually live out of every word that proceeds from His mouth rather than all the actions that proceeded from the hands of men. Free to live. That is good news. That's why the Gospel is good news. Yeah. We should be, listen you guys, we should be excited about that because it really is good news because it's true. It's all in your Bible. If you just read it, you'll see it. And if you already read it and you know it, you should be excited about that. Because he's established his word above his own name. In other words, when he speaks something, it's the most bonding, the most powerful thing that there is. More powerful even than his name because he exalted his own word above his own name. Because he did it. Because he established it that way. And if He's spoken these things to you, they're true. You just might not believe it. If you don't believe it, then you won't live as though it's true. That doesn't change whether God, what God said is true or not. That's 
It's not a reflection of whether he speaks the truth. It's a reflection of our ability to believe it. And that's why you need faith. This gospel should take a huge amount of faith to believe. It should be so much better than we can wrap our brains around naturally. It should never be reduced to something that when we explain the gospel to people, they say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It should take faith. If the gospel that we're preaching to people makes perfect sense logically to them, something's wrong. If we don't have to curb them and bring them in and say, wait a minute, listen, listen, you've got to understand now, I'm not saying that just because His grace covers the past sin, the current sin, and every sin you will commit that you're free to go and do that. You are free to, but why would you want to? And should we just go and sin and say grace abounds? Paul had to do it. If, if the message of grace that we're preaching doesn't have to be defined to people to let them know that, listen, even though it may sound like I'm saying this, you have to know this then it's not preaching the true message of grace that Paul preached because he had to qualify that to people. He had to tell people that were used to living under rules that now that the rules were gone, it doesn't mean that it's, it's okay to do it. It's still a good idea to remember a Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's still a good idea to not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It's still a good idea to be faithful to your husband, to be faithful to your wife. It's still a good idea not to steal or kill. Okay, all that stuff's good. It's just not what makes you good. You do it because you've been made good. Amen. That's the difference. Before, that was my justification. Now that's the way that I live because I am justified. And Paul had to explain that to people. And we should be having to explain that to people if we're telling them the gospel the way that it was truly presented. If we're preaching them the message of grace, it should sound so much better than they're able to believe that we should have to qualify and explain it to them, not have them look at us and say, yeah, yeah that makes sense. So, so an important part of the covenant was that there was this declaration before witnesses. That everything that was conveyed in the covenant had to be declared in front of witnesses. And so God comes down and in front of heaven and earth, He calls heaven and earth as, as witness. He makes these promises to Abraham of who He is and who He will be and what He will do for him, and what He will be for him. And then He tells Abraham who Abraham will be, and what Abraham will become, and what Abraham will do. And He says, this covenant I'm making with you, I'm going to keep with you. Remember this, covenant was God's idea. He is so committed to this thing that He promised He would see it through even if it cost Him death. And then when it cost Him death, He spared not His own Son that we should have life. He's so much more committed to this covenant than we are. Everything is always on His end. If you look at the covenant, the hard part is always God's. The hard part, the part that's unbelievable is always God's part. The easy part is us. We just say yes. We just respond and say yes to what God is offering. That's not the hard part. The hard part is it cost Jesus His life. The hard part is, is that God had to actually come and, and give Himself and let Himself, He who, be, who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The hard part is always on His part. And so he would declare these things before witnesses and he comes to Abraham and he says to him, he says, I want you to look, Abraham, to the north, to the south, to the east and to the west. And all that you see, I'm giving to you. Everything. In other words, it's all mine, Abraham, and I'm giving it all to you. But then later we read in Psalms, in Psalms uh, 23, I'm sorry, Psalms 24, it says, the earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. 
For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So if he said to Abraham, I'm giving it to you, but now later on we read in Psalms that it all belongs to him, how is that possible? Because covenant creates a a thing where what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. It's what we do when we walk down in our wedding ceremony, which which echoes the ceremony that, that Abraham had with God, that the children of Israel had with God and the covenant we have with Jesus. And you walk in and they say, which side, the groom's side or the bride's side? And they separate you by blood on each side. And so when the groom and the bride pass through, they're walking down walls of blood as everybody stands and the bride passes down through between them. They're walking through walls of blood, the blood relatives of the bride on this side, the blood relatives of the groom on this side. And we just walk down the aisle and think it's a chance for everybody to see the bride in her dress. Because we don't understand the the covenant that we're making a lot of times. And we're actually walking between walls of blood on either side of us as we come down to make a declaration before witnesses. And those people that are standing up there, they're called witnesses. Right? We call them attendants. Originally, they're called witnesses. And it's not just because they want a reason for girls to wear pretty dresses and guys to sweat in tuxedos. Right? Because that's what we've reduced it to. The, the importance of the people is how they're going to look in the dress and what the dress is going to look like in the shoes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the real importance is that they're standing here and they're going to witness this declaration of covenant that you're going to make one to the other. Because everything that's spoken that creates covenant always is done in front of witnesses. And you stand there and you say, I pledge you my life. All that I have is yours. On thee, all my earthly goods I bestow. Or however you want to make your vows. People writing their own vows today should really, really understand that it's not supposed to be flowery, poetic. I have found the one for whom my heart sings. You're making a covenant promise. Okay? And I'm not saying it can't sound beautiful, but I am saying that the content is a whole lot more important than the sound. Because you're standing before God making a covenant promise and you're saying that everything that I am, I give to you and all that you are, I take upon myself. All my earthly goods, every one of my debts are now your debts. Every one of my assets are now your assets. All that I have is now yours and all that you have is mine. And when God made covenant with Abraham, he says to him, look as far as you can see, I'm giving it all to you. But then later we read it's all God's. Why? Because there is no more mine and yours. There's now ours when we come into covenant. I and me get replaced with us and we. There is no more I, there is no more me when we make a covenant between man and wife. And we're so, we're so connected and we're so much one person that it's impossible to hurt me without hurting my wife. It's impossible to hurt my wife without it hurting me because we're not separate people and I can't detach myself from her and say, well, that stinks for her, but I'm okay. When she hurts, I hurt. In the same way, it's hard for someone to bless me without blessing her or bless her without blessing me. And my actions are not my own anymore because the things that I do don't just hurt me. When I do something I shouldn't, it hurts her and vice versa. We enter into a covenant with God. We make that covenant with Him. And it says that no longer will I act on my own because I understand that I'm not my own. You were bought with a price. A high price. It cost Him the life of His Son to bind you into covenant with Him. You're no longer your own. The life that you live is now no longer you, but Christ alive in you. Alive in you because you're in covenant with Him. And so God declares before Abraham all that He'll do and all that He is. And later He says to Abraham in in, uh, Genesis 15.1, we're going to have so much Scripture today, I'm going to try to just get through. Um, Later in 15.1, God says to Abraham, 
After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Here God's explaining who he will be to Abraham. And he says, I'm your shield and your reward. I am your protector and I am your provider. I'm your source. It's always that way with God. It's always protect and provide is his responsibility. Trust and obey is our responsibility. He tells Abram, he says, if you will do what I'm asking you to do, this is who I am and who I'll be in your life. I will be your shield and I'll be your reward. I'll be your protection. I'll be your source. That's my responsibility. He says, Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is always the heart of God. I am giving. I am blessing. I am protecting. I am providing. All I ask is that you keep the covenant and keep the statutes and keep the commands that I've given you. And we'll see that echoed later again when, when God is talking to the Israelites, right? So Abraham takes on everything that God has. He says, all that I have, I'm giving to you. Everything that you can see, it's all mine, and I'm giving it to you. But what could Abraham possibly have taken on of God's? Well, God was wealthier than a man who owns a, th- a cattle on a thousand hills. He, the earth and the fullness thereof belonged to him. And so there was, no, there was no debt that Abraham would take on with God. It was only blessing and benefit. God's the mightiest warrior that's ever lived. He's never been defeated. He's completely undefeated. He's never lost and he never will. So he couldn't have, couldn't have been that, that he's taking on his, his bad qualities, his bad character traits. So what would Abraham have taken on of God's that would have been his responsibility? Turn to Genesis 15:13. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, Abram and said to him, Your descendants I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Suddenly, the enemies of God became the enemies of God's people. The Amorites were, were committing a sin that was so grievous, so heinous to God, that until the sin that they were committing had been completed, he wasn't ready to go in and drive out and destroy them from the land. And he said to the people, later he told them, he said, I will go in and I will fight for you. And then he tells them to go in and fight for the land. Remember, we've talked about that, that, that with God, it's always, I am doing this, now you go do this. It's always a partnering with God. It's always a, a co-laboring. It's always a believing by faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do, so we do what he's asked us to do and trust that he will. I will drive them out. Now you go drive them out. I am giving you the land. Now you go take possession of the land. It's always that way with God. It was never intended for them to sit back and say, well, God's giving us the land. We'll just wait for them to die and leave, and then we'll go in and take the land. That wasn't how it worked. It was always, they have the land that I'm giving to you, and I will drive them out. Now now you go and take the land, and you drive them out. It's always, remember, there's no I, there's no me. It's always us. It's always we. When God speaks through covenant terms to people, he's always saying that what we are going to do. 
He always takes the greater part. He always takes the greater half. Who of us can make the sun stand up for that long? Who of us can cause people to be blinded? Who of us can part the sea? Who of us can do any of those things? And God always does the hard part and just asks us to walk in obedience and trust Him and obey Him. And so, so Abraham takes on all that God is. The enemies of, of God become the enemies of Abraham's people. The, the friends and allies of God become the friends and allies of, of Abraham and, and vice versa. And so if they've set themselves against Abraham, they've now set themselves against God. If they've allied themselves with Abraham, they've allied themselves with God. That's always the way it is, right? David understood that. He said when the Philistine was down there taunting them and telling them to come down and fight him, he said, well, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against God? who mocks the living God. In other words, he's talking to us, but you understand we're in covenant with him. So if he's saying it to us, he's saying it as a, as a direct attack to God, and God won't take that lightly. And if one of us will dare to step up and go into the battlefield, God will come through on his promise and deliver and do what he said he would do, but it's going to take one of us actually stepping up. Amen. So for 40 days, men sat around telling stories of what God could do, and then one man walked into the camp sure of what God would do. And when he walked down into the valley, actually ran down into the valley, it didn't go so well for the giant. Why? Because one man believed the covenant over what he saw with his own eyes. He believed what God had spoken over what his ears heard from a man. He believed in God's promise over the spear, over the size of his shield, over the people he had killed, over all that stuff. He trusted that God's word was true, even if what he saw would tell him otherwise. It made no sense for David to run down in there with just a sling when this mighty man of war was standing in the valley threatening him. When this man whose head of his spear was, was as big as David's torso. When this man whose shield was larger than David's whole body. It made no sense when David would have come up to about the guy's belly button for him to run down into the... That is the thing, you guys. There should be times in our lives where what we're doing doesn't make sense in the natural, but it makes sense if we understand the promise of God and we believe in His promise. There should be things. And I'm not saying that we walk around going, I, I don't know, I just, you know, yeah, God. I don't, I don't know. No. There should be a clarity in our speech, right? David didn't walk into the valley and say, yeah, God will. It's, it'll be good. It's just God. You know, he didn't like come down there and just ramble. He walked down in there sure of what God had said. Surely my God has, def- has defeated me from, has, has, has defended me and given the lion and the bear into my hands. Certainly he'll deliver the head of this uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, certainly he will defeat this man who has no covenant. I'm circumcised. I have covenant with God. This man's uncircumcised. He has no covenant with God. There's a clarity in his speech and he can communicate what he believes to people around him because he understands exactly why he feels the way he feels and even though it doesn't make sense that he's going to go down and defeat the giant the reasoning behind it the logic behind it makes sense because what god has spoken what god has promised don't ever buy into this thing that that living a life following god means i wander around in a cloud not knowing what's going on or what i'm doing or how to explain it don't ever think that preparing means that you rule out the holy spirit he's just as capable of being there when you plan as he is when you walk into the door of where you're going don't ever think that life is always lived in reaction and that I get up I, every day and I wander around with no plan, no clue, no idea of what I'm going to do and I just live in reaction to what goes on around me. Get up in the morning and decide what you're going to do, which is love people, listen to God, be obedient, and then go do that. Even though you don't know exactly what that looks like, you leave the door with a purpose, with a clarity, with a reason. And you may not know the, the how, but you know the why and you know the what. You may not know the what, but you know the why and you know the how. So... 
So Abraham takes this on and, and God takes on all that's Abraham. And now we fast forward to Moses, right? We find Moses after he flees Egypt. He's now living with Jethro, his cousin, doing what? What was, what was Moses doing when he was living with Jethro? Anybody know? He was shepherding. Isn't it amazing how many people who were called to be leaders of God people were shepherds first? I think it's because God's looking for people who will shepherd, not people who will herd. I do. I really believe that, that the heart of God for his, the people who will lead His people is that they'll be shepherds and not herders. See, the difference between a shepherd that, that shepherds sheep and a cattle driver that herds cattle is this. The shepherd is always concerned with the goodness of the sheep because he understands that if I lead the sheep to cool waters, if I bring them to good pastures, that if I keep them stress-free and safe and protected, this is a quote from a shepherd. It said, Strive for healthy sheep and avoid unnecessary stress. Wool production benefits from healthy animals with good nutrition, well-managed pastures, and a feeling of safety. See, the shepherd always has the goodness of the sheep in mind. And so when he leads them, he takes them to a place that's good for them, that's calm, that's safe. And he brings them places and he, he promises to protect them and watch over them. And they learn to trust him. And it said, I was reading the article, it said that one thing that, that sheep love is when the shepherd will come and speak softly into their ear while rubbing on their neck and letting them know that they're there. That's the heart of a shepherd is to come speak softly to people while helping them, while touching them, while being there for them. And God always is calling shepherds for His people, not herders. And a cattle herder doesn't really care about the cattle that he's herding. What he cares about is getting them where he wants them to go as fast as possible for his own benefit. He doesn't care if the place smells. He doesn't care if the place is clean. He doesn't care if the place is stress-free. In fact, a cattle herder will often use fear to drive people. Will often use fear, I'm sorry, to drive cattle, Freud and Slip. Right? It doesn't matter how he gets them from one place to the other. He might have to use a prod. He might have to use shouting and loud noises. He might have to use, you know, beating and abusing them as long as he gets them where he wants them on time so that he can get the most benefit from the cattle by selling them for the greatest price. His concern is never for the cattle. It's always for himself and getting them where he wants them to go. But the shepherd wants to lead the sheep into the places that are best for them. And God always wants to lead you to places that are the best for you. Always. And that may not look like what you think. And you may feel like God's not answering prayer because you're not going where you want to go, but just you have to trust that if He's your shepherd, He's taking you where it's best for you. And then in time, you'll see the benefit and you'll see the goodness. You'll see the, the reason why. Even if at the moment it's unclear, even if at the moment you don't know why. And so many times, you guys, because the trail from getting from one pasture to the other can involve going on a mountain pass that's steep where the sheep have to walk single file. And the only reason they do it is because they trust the shepherd, because they've learned that he's good and he wants the best for them, that he has their best interest in mind, because he's talked to them softly in their ear, because he's stroked them and won their hearts, because they love him. The shepherd's walking down this path and the sheep keep going because they understand that even if I can't see right now where we're going, I know that the place we're going is better than the place that we were. And that's always the heart of God for people who are going to shepherd. And every one of us is called to shepherd people. It's not just people who have the, the title of pastor, have the title of worship leader, have the title of prayer, this or that. It's not it's every one of us is called to shepherd people because Jesus said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I send you. And if he was the good shepherd, then he sent us in the world to be good shepherds and to steward and guide the people that he places under us. Not using fear, not using abuse, not with your own best interest in mind, but lovingly, gently, because you've won their heart, because they trust you, leading them where is best for them. That's the heart of God for you. And so Moses goes there, and for 40 years he learns how to be a shepherd. He was already a brave man, right? When he saw an, an Israelite mistreating somebody, he killed him. 
It, it wasn't afraid. It, the, 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 the standing up to what was wrong wasn't a problem for him. It was the heart of a shepherd that he needed to develop. So God takes him out into the wilderness for 40 years. And he takes the, the sheep and he brings them to a place that everybody else is terrified to go to. It's called Mount Horeb. It's the mountain of God, also called Mount Sinai. And Moses finds this place and he brings the sheep there. And the locals are afraid to go there because it's the, it's the, it's the mountain of God and they have this fear and they're afraid of God. But Moses goes there and he's not afraid and he takes the sheep there. And that's where he dwells with them is at the mountain of God where everyone else is afraid. And the reason he's not afraid, if you look in Exodus 20.20, 20, you see the reason. Um, we're going to be talking about this a little bit more in a second. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. They were terrified, right? God had called them up to the mountain and was speaking and they were so afraid of Him. They said, don't let Him speak to us. You speak to us on His behalf because if He speaks to us, we will die. They were so terrified of the voice of God, of the presence of God, that they were just freaking out. And Moses says to them, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of Him may remain in you so that you may not sin. Is it the right verse? Oh, okay. Oh, you see, I'll read it again. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of Him may remain with you so that you may not sin. Isn't that a weird statement for him to say, don't be afraid, God's tested you so that you will fear. See, the fear of God is very much different than being afraid of God. The fear of God is understanding how great, how magnificent, how powerful He is. Understanding the awesomeness and, and who He is. And we, so because of that, we have an awe and a reverence for God, but we're not afraid of Him to where we don't want to be near Him and we flee from Him. In fact, the very fear of God that we're supposed to experience draws us to Him, not takes us away. Moses said, don't be afraid. God has come so that the fear of Him will cause you not to sin. In other words, don't be afraid. Don't run away. Understand that God wants you to know who He is so that your awe, so that the reverence that you have for Him, so that the fear that's in you, a holy trembling fear before our God would keep you from sinning. So Moses lives there with the sheep and now God appears to him in a burning bush and He says to him, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is about to fulfill another part of the covenant. So when He comes, He identifies Himself by His covenant name. And he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And he tells Abraham, he says, I've seen the people. I've heard their cries. They've been abused and that the 400 years had passed and the sin of the Amorite was complete now. And so it was time for him to call his people out. Exodus 3.10 says, Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you and this shall be a sign to you. It is I that have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. He says to him, you're going to go there and then you're going to bring the people back and I'm going to show them who I am and I'm going to show them that, that you are my man, that you are the man that's supposed to lead them because when you bring the people back to this mountain, the Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do something in front of them that will confirm to them that you really are leading them as I've called you to. And so you go. And even though they were here, Sinai, Horeb was here, and Canaan was here. God still wanted them to come to that mountain. There was something significant that was going to happen. And what it was, was God was once again going to come down, and the thunder was going to roll, and the lightning was going to flash, and the earth was going to tremble like it did the last time He came down and spoke to man and cut covenant with man. And He was going to fulfill another part of the covenant. And He says, go get the people and bring them here. So fast forward. They arrived to the mountain. Exodus 19.3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called him to, the, to him from the mountain saying, 
Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called all the elders of the people and set before them all the words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, We will do all that the Lord has spoken. And Moses brought back the words of the Lord to the people. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So God comes to them and He declares to them, This is who I am. You've seen what I've done. I've protected you. I've provided for you. I've brought you out of Egypt. You saw what I did to the Egyptians on your behalf. You've seen that I am protecting and providing for you. I've caused manna to come down from heaven and I've fed you every single day. I've provided for your every need. I've parted the seas when you stood in front of them and there was no way to cross them. I've had water come from rocks and pour out when you were thirsty and needed something to drink. I've protected you and I've provided for you. And that's who I am and who I'll be for you. And I want you to come into covenant with me. And you will be to me, my people. You will be my own possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine. There, once again, the earth is mine. But you gave it to them. It's because there is no I, there is no mine. It's all ours. And so if it's mine, it's yours. If it's yours, it's mine. So I say, that's my car out there. But my wife can say, that's my car out there. Whose car is it? True. Yes, both. Right? There's, there's, There's a we, our What's mine is hers. What's hers is mine. And she doesn't always have to say, well, well, technically it's my husband's car and mine, but I call it my car, right? We, we, we've got to stop doing that when we talk about, right? When, when we always feel like we have to qualify things. We say something to people about, you know, well, what God's called us to do, and then we feel like we have to qualify. Well, of course, you know, I can do nothing on my own. Listen, stop doing that, okay? Stop. You don't have to say that because here's the truth. You're never on your own again because he said he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Stop feeling like you have to qualify that to sound humble. Okay? Just just relax a little bit and understand that when you speak as a, as a person who's in covenant with God, nothing you say is strictly about yourself anymore. Because everything that you do... He does with you if He's called you to do it. So if you're speaking about something God's called you to call, for the sake of humility, you don't have to throw in the caveat, well, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I can do this because I can do nothing. Well, quit thinking so highly of yourself and thinking that you're going to do this by yourself anyways. I didn't think that to begin with. I know you. I'm pretty sure if you're going to do what you're telling me that God's going to have a part in it. Okay? Come down off the pedestal a little bit. We're trying to act humble and just realize that when we're in covenant with somebody, when we say I, we mean we. Just like when God says I, he means we. I'm going to drive them out of the land. Then he tells them to go in and drive them out of the land, which was true, yes. So anyways. So thunder thunder and, and, and lightning and crashing and all this stuff goes on, right? So it, or, or is about to go on. And God says, I'm going to appear. I'm going to talk to them. And I'm going to declare these things because God is now once again going to speak. And it's going to be witnessed by many. He says, I'm going to speak and they're going to hear me. Because he wants this declared in front of witnesses. And so it's in Exodus 19.16. We're kind of skipping ahead a little bit. The three days have gone by. Moses told them, get ready. God's going to come down. He's going to speak to us. And here we are. So it came about on the third day when it was morning and they, there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sounded so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. 
Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because God, the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Sound familiar? Think about this. When God appears to Abraham, He appears as a smoking oven and as a flaming torch. Fire and smoke appear and the earth trembles and shakes because God is the God of the universe is cutting covenant with man. It's not a light thing. It's not a little deal. It's not something we say and then go back to our normal lives as though, you know, uh, I got CPR certified. woo And then go back to your normal life. This is a big deal. You're now in covenant with the living God. And when this happens, it's literally earth-shattering, earth-shaking stuff. Now He comes and once again He's going to make covenant with man. And again, fire and smoke and the earth trembles. And then Jesus comes and completes the covenant and satisfies and once finally seals the covenant that God has with man. And the whole earth shakes and it thunders and it lightnings. Every time God makes covenant and cuts covenant with man, the earth itself can't contain itself. And it responds with trembling and shaking. If we don't respond to the fact that God's cut covenant with us in a manner that's like that, then we don't get it. If we don't find ourselves at some point on our knees, literally trembling and shaking because of the covenant that we have with God, because of who He's called us to be, because of what He's done for us, we don't get it. The rocks have a better idea of what's going on than we do. And I'm not saying you have to shake like a leaf, you know, and that proves that you get it. You know, don't get me wrong on that. But I am saying there should be times, maybe it's when you're all alone and you're just with, alone with God. When we were worshiping earlier, all I could do is be on my knees crying, saying thank you. I couldn't even think of what to thank Him for. All that could come out of my mouth was thank you, thank you, thank you. Because listing the things that He's done seems so insignificant before just posturing myself in front of Him and saying thank you. He knows what I'm saying. He knows why. So God comes and, and, and He speaks to them. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the way that they'll live. He tells them what He expects from them. And then it says, All the people perceived the thunder and lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to, to us yourself and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid for God has come in order to test you in order that the fear of him will remain with you so that you may not sin. So that people, the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you will say to the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I have spoken to you from heaven. God speaks to them, gives them the Ten Commandments, and the people are so full of awe and fear that they don't even want to go near the mountain. They don't even want to hear his voice. And Moses says, don't be afraid. He's come so that his fear will remain with you. In other words, He's showing you who He is so that that will keep you living the way He's called you to live. When we see Him and we actually see Him, something inside of us changes and it changes the way that we live. Jesus said, God said, no man can see me and live. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can both statements be true? Because when we look at Jesus and we see Him for who He truly is, something in us dies. Something changes. No man can see me and live. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Something has to die when we see Him. So, God speaks to them and and He says at the end of it, He says, you have seen what I have spoken. Why would He say you've seen what I've spoken rather than you've heard what I've spoken? 
because he's called them there to witness something. He's called them there that before all of mankind, he can actually demonstrate to them who he is, who he wants to be, and who he's called them to be. He said, you guys will be my own possession. I'll be your God. Here's the exchange that always takes place. I'll become your God. You will become my people. It's crazy that he wants us so badly that he will give himself to us so that we can be his and he can possess us. He said, you will be my own possession among all the people. The God of the universe is after you and wants to possess you. So much so that he's willing to give up all that he is to you to receive all that you are. That he would, that, 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 he, that we would say yes to him is tiny, is understandable, is believable. That he would say yes to us, that requires faith. Because I know who I was. And so God says to him, you've seen what I've spoken because now they've witnessed this. And so he continues to speak to them. And now, now that, that they've come into covenant, now that he said, you'll be my possession, I'll be your God. And I, I've protected, provided. It's always the same. You've seen how I've protected and provided. All I'm asking of you is to trust me and obey me. And if you do, and then he starts to list off. And this is where it gets really amazing. He says in Exodus 23:20, 20, behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into a place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before Him and obey His voice. Always obey. Do not be rebellious toward Him, for He will, part, he will not pardon your transgression since My name is in Him. But if you truly obey His voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. Isn't it amazing that if we just obey God, that anybody that comes against us and would be an enemy of ours makes themselves an enemy of His? And now we battle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities. So it's not the people that become his enemy anymore like it was back then. It's now the spirit that is, in that per- that is upon that person that's coming against the spirit that's within us that God considers an enemy and goes to war against on our behalf. But if you will truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. My angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I will completely destroy them. We have to understand something. That when God sees, He looks ahead and outside of time, He sees us doing the things that He's called us to do by His strength. He says, I'm going to do it. Even though in the moment it requires something from us. It's not us doing it. It's God doing it through us. And God says, it's me doing it. But yet then He tells the people to be strong and to chase after them and pursue them and cut down the enemy. Because it's never God saying, go do this thing and I'll watch. And if you can do it, then I'll bless it. God says, I'm going to do this. Now go and do this with me. That's our lives in a nutshell, you guys. We've been called to this earth and God wants to partner with us and co-labor with us to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on the kingdom of this world. And he says, I'm going to do this. Now you go and do this. It's always a both and. And so... He says, but you, shall not ser- but you will not worship their gods nor serve them nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pa- sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and your water and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you so they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year. The land may not drive them out, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. 
It's all throughout this verse. If you want to know how God works on the earth through man, read these verses and understand that God says over and over again, I'm going to do this, you will do this. I'm going to do this, you will do this. I'm going to cause this, you will see this. It's always God calling us to do what He's called us to do, trusting and understanding that He will do everything that He said He would do. So the battle belongs to the Lord even though there's a sword in my hand. Why? Because everything that He does on the earth, He does through a man. It's why Jesus came in the form of a man to accomplish God's good purpose and goodwill in this earth. That's why He didn't come down as God. He emptied Himself of God, considered equality with God something not to be grasped. And He made Himself lower than the angels for a time. He became a man and He came and gave us an example of what it is to walk with the kingdom of heaven inside of you. And to accomplish all that God wants to accomplish. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not, they will not, shall not live in your land because you will, they will make you sin against me. If you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And I don't have time to teach on all of that. There's some amazing stuff in there. and I, I, There's a few messages coming from that. But, but then Exodus 24.3, more promises from God. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the, the, all the people answered with one voice. And said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. God took, Moses took all the words that God had spoken, all the promises. He wrote them down in a book. It was the book of covenant. And he recorded them. And so... Deuteronomy 7.12, Then it shall come about, because you, shall, you will, you, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you His covenant and His loving kindness, which He swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock, the land which He swore to the forefathers to give you. You should be blessed above all people. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. The Lord will remove from you all sickness. He will not put you in any, on any of you the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known. He will lay them on all who hate you. But you shall remember the Lord, Deuteronomy 8.18. For it is He who is giving you power to make wealth that He may confirm His covenant. The ability to make wealth is God confirming His covenant. This is not in some crazy prosperity gospel message. Uh, version of the of the word of god this is straight from the literal word that god spoke you should remember the lord your god for is he giving you the power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day deuteronomy 28 1 now it shall be if you diligently obey the lord your god being careful to do all his commands the lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the lord your god remember goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life i don't have to spend my days chasing after goodness and mercy it's a promise from god that it follows me it says right here that these blessings will overtake you if you would just simply walk after god it will come upon you and overtake you and blessed you'll be in the city blessed in the country Blessed shall the offspring of your body, the produce of your ground, the offspring of your beast, the increase of your herd, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl. Blessed when you come. Blessed when you go. And on and on it goes. If you just want to, if you want to understand the heart of God towards His people and what He wanted to do for them and, and in them and through them, just read through the story of the children of Israel and see what God made to them as covenant promises and read all that amazing stuff and then flip straight in your Bible to Hebrews 8.6 and read this verse. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. That should make you smile when you understand that these were promises God made to the people in the Old Covenant. They were written in the book of the Old Covenant and now we have a better covenant based on better promises. 
Go just go read those for yourself and then try to wrap your head around the covenant promises that we have for in the new covenant being better. I dare you. It'll change what you expect. It'll change what you believe for. This isn't like some prosperity, name it, claim it gospel. This is reciting what the Word of God says and challenging us to believe that God really does want to bless His people. God Himself said in Psalm 24, if I can find that in my notes, I'm a mess up here today. Uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 35, 27. Let them shout for, re- for joy and rejoice. Who favor my vindication, let them say continue, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of His servants. He said it, you guys. That's not a word that was invented by a church in the 1960s and 70s. That word there is invented by God who said that He takes delight in the prosperity of His servants. Delight, it actually brings Him pleasure to see you blessed. And we've created a whole new theology because Jesus told one man who had a problem with wealth and who had a problem with money that if he wanted to follow Him and he wanted to come after Him, that what he had to do was sell everything, give everything to the poor and come and follow Him. If that's the issue in your heart, if your stuff is keeping you from following Him, Jesus would say the same thing to you today. Because what he was after was his heart and what was keeping him from having his heart was the fact that his stuff had him rather than him having his stuff. But let's not make a theology out of what he told one man and change that God delights in the prosperity of his servants and feel like that being poor is what God wants for all of his servants. There's nowhere in the Bible that you can find where God said that that's his desire or that he delights in the poverty of his people. The exact opposite is true. It says he delights in the prosperity of his servants. Prosperity of his servants. In other words, those who have given themselves to him, he delights when they become blessed. Those who haven't given themselves to him and the blessing they have in their life is keeping them from becoming his servants. To them, his word would be, listen, the thing that's keeping you from me is the thing that you need to get rid of so that I can have your heart. Once I have your heart, you can have stuff and stuff won't have you. Don't, Don't pervert because there's been some abuse don't knee-jerk and yank your knee back from God delighting in the prosperity of His people. He said it. He established it. All throughout the Word of God, all throughout the Old Covenant, He talks about wanting to see them blessed in the city and the field as they come, as they go above and not beneath the head and not the tail. And now we have better promises than those. So what does that mean for us today? I'm going to wrap up quickly this. I apologize, we're going a little long, but... But here's our part, right? What, we have the written word, right? The book of the covenant, the book of the old covenant, and the book of the new covenant, which is what that word testament means in the original language. It's the book of the old covenant, the book of the new covenant. We have that, and God has declared all the promises to us in that word, and ours are ours when we declare him, right? And so, so if everything that happened in the old, Jesus always fulfills in the new. And if there was a declaration before the people as witnesses of what God was saying, and a declaration of God before people as a witness of what he was saying, then Jesus has to do the same thing because everything that was done in the old is fulfilled by Jesus in the new. So turn in your Bibles real quick to Matthew 10.32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now Luke 12.8. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him and also, also before the angels of God. In other words, when we declare and confess our covenant with God in front of people as our witnesses before men, then Jesus in heaven before the angels and before God Himself as witnesses declares the covenant relationship that He has with us. Everything that was done in the old is always done in the new and fulfilled and even better because where people were incapable, the old covenant said that 
If you keep my laws, Jesus said, if you abide in me, I am your grace because I've kept the law for you. The old law said this, that, that God said, if you keep my commands, I will heal you. The new covenant says, by his stripes, you are healed. The old covenant had the glory of God dwelling in tents. The new covenant has the glory of God dwelling within us. That he no longer was making his habitation with man in tents made with earthly hands, but he became and inhabited his people. The old law says that a sacrifice had to be made every year to cover for the sins that you had committed. The new law, the new covenant, the better promise. This is why it's a better covenant based on better promises. It says that behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That before you were born and walked this earth and committed to your first sin, Jesus came and gave His life so that the sins that you have committed, the sins you will commit, and the sins to come are all pardoned and covered by the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. It really is a better covenant with better promises. Because all the if you will do, then I will was fulfilled by Jesus when he did. And he said, if you abide in me and my word remains in you, you can ask for anything. Believing and it shall be done for you. The stipulation of if you obey my law, then I will was fulfilled by Jesus who perfectly obeyed the law on my behalf and stands before God as my advocate. That's amazing. Yeah, that's good news. He is such a good God. <laughs> it, you, this is why this cannot be a bunch of made-up stuff that was made up by men because we couldn't dream this up. It, it's one of the things that, 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 that I honestly, when people say that, they, well, I mean, that just had to be made up by... We couldn't even think of this. It's too good. We would have made it way harder. We would have made it way more dependent on us. We would have made it way more about our good works and our good deeds and that you get what you deserve because that's human nature. And the, the fact that God Himself would make a new covenant that's better than the old one and ratify it through the blood of Jesus Christ and say that He is the way to the Father. And if you pass through these walls of blood, you come in and everything that, that is for the people who are not in covenant with Me will not in any way touch you. That, that, that 10,000 may fall at your right and 1,000 at your left, but you will in no means touch you. You will only with your eyes look on and see the destruction of the wicked we couldn't come up with this stuff there's no way he's better than we could exaggerate try it so does this covenant itself last thing i'm just gonna i I know i'm closing i'm closing with this does the covenant itself guarantee that we will have everything that god said no It guarantees that it's available to you and that you have access to it. But think about this. The 40 days that the people of Israel sat on the hill and were taunted by Goliath and didn't dare to go down into the field, every one of them had the same covenant that David had. It took somebody who knew the covenant that David had, who knew the covenant that they had with God, who believed that God would do what He said He would do and then acted upon it before He had the promise that was in the covenant that my enemies will be your enemies and your enemies will be my enemies. All these promises are made to God, to you by God and you have access to every single one of them. There's none that you're disqualified from. Your past does not disqualify you from living in the blessings that He's promised in the future. But the one thing that will keep us from them is that if we do not believe, Jesus said, if I'm able, all things are, if you believe, all things are possible to Him who believes. 
On God's end, it's a done deal, but it takes faith on our end in responding to what He said. It's just like being born again. And this is what, what, what confuses me sometimes is that people have no problem accepting the fact that Jesus already died and that everything that was needed to be fulfilled on our behalf was already fulfilled, but it still took us putting our faith in Him and believing that we had what He said for us to become born again. If you can understand that and you can believe that, then why is it so different with all the other promises of God? Why do we have such a hard time believing that same principle with all the other things that we were promised if the most important one is salvation from our sin and becoming new creations in Christ? Why is blessing and healing and health? and Why does that take a greater amount of faith or take a different route to get or, or become impossible? And, and Well, it's not, it has nothing to do with us. Well, if your salvation was dependent on you believing the finished work of Christ that was already done and it was on your behalf that you had to believe and by faith you receive then why would anything else that God's promised to us in the New Covenant be any different? Well, I'll believe it when I see it. Unfortunately, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will see it when you believe it. He said, if, if I'm able. In other words, it's not on my end. Of course I'm able. He said, do you believe? All things are possible to him that believes. And the man answered with the answer I think most of us would have to give for most of the promises of God. I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, God, I do believe you because I know what your word says, but there's things going on around me that make me question it, that make me doubt it. And it's okay for us to come before him. Faith isn't denying what we, that, that, that there's unbelief. That's not faith. Say, no, I, I totally 100% believe when we have doubts and unbelief inside of us. That's lying. Right? It's okay to come before God and say, you know what, God, I do believe, but there's unbelief. Help my unbelief. God, I believe that you said this. I believe that you promised this. But there's some unbelief in me because of what I've seen, because of what I've experienced, because of what I've been taught, because of what the world has taught me that is contrary to your word. And some of that stuff has taken root and it's in my soul and it's in my emotions. And sometimes it's hard for me to separate what's real and what's not because of what I've experienced, God. And so there is some unbelief in me. And I'm asking you, God, I do believe you. Help my unbelief. I think that's a position that more Christians should take with God on, on a lot of issues because I think for us to say, well, the problem's not on me, I perfectly believe is saying that the problem's on Him. And Jesus very quickly answered that. If I'm able, if you believe, all things are possible to Him that believes. This covenant that He's made with you is yours. But it does take us by faith, trusting and obeying. The hard part's His. He's promised that He will protect and provide. And he's, He wanted the world to know it. He wanted the universe, the galaxies to know it. He said to the Israelites, He said, See, I call before you heaven and earth today to be a witness. In other words, I'm calling everything that is in existence to witness this. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose life, not death. The choice is yours. I'm telling you which one to choose, but you get to make the choice. Choose life that I may bless you. And Jesus says, when you confess me, in other words, when you before witnesses say, I am in covenant with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, and I'm no longer mine, I am his and he is mine. He says, when that happens, then before the Father and before the angels, I make that same declaration that I take on everything. That's the amazing thing about being in a covenant of marriage. It's the same thing that's amazing about being in a covenant with Jesus is he knows that you wake up in the morning with bad breath. He knows that you wake up in the morning looking different than you do at the pic- than the pictures you put on Facebook. He knows that you forget things, that you don't roll the toothpaste up from the bottom all the time, that you leave your clothes around when you take a shower, 
that sometimes you go to the store to get something for them and you come home without the thing they sent you for and with something they didn't send you for. They know all that stuff and they love you anyways because it's not what you do that they love. It's who you are. And they may love some of the things that you do, but their love for you isn't conditional upon them. It's because they love you. And that's the same thing with Jesus. You can be exactly who God created you to be. You can be goofy, have no rhythm, and not able to dance, and He loves to see you dance. Because He knows everything that you've done. Nothing's hidden from Him. And in the face of the worst things that you think would disqualify you from a relationship with anybody, never mind the God of the universe, He looks right past them and says, it doesn't matter because that's not what you've done that qualifies you. It's who you are in Me. And so much so that He'll declare it before God and before the angels as eternal witnesses to who you are in Him. God, I thank You for Your covenant. God, I thank You that we have a covenant with You that is not breakable, that is binding for eternity, God, that You sealed it with the blood of Your Son, that no longer would the blood of bulls and goats take away my sin from year to year, God, but that Your Son, the Lamb of God, came and gave His own life to fulfill and to seal the covenant that You have with me, God. And that the things that I've done don't disqualify me from living in the promises that You've given me. God, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to believe that surely I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living so that there is no way that I can despair. I want to believe You, God. I want to trust You that You'll protect and provide so that I don't start building my own kingdom, God. So that I don't live by the sword because I don't want to die by it. I thank You for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one quick story real quick, and we're going to go. There's a guy that comes to church here. He's been coming here for about a year now, and I sat and had lunch with him the other day, and he was telling me a story of something that happened, and he was saying how thankful he is for what he's learning about who he is and what God's called him to be and live by the sword, die by the sword, and all that stuff. And so he was going through a situation at work. The guy he works for is just a mean, angry person. He's bitter. He's driven everybody away that's ever been in his life. He's on his fourth marriage now. His kids don't like him. He calls his kids useless and stuff like that. And he just has never loved anybody really and never been loved by anybody. And everybody that's got close to him, he's pushed them away with being a jerk and being cruel and being mean. And, and so he wanted this person to sign some kind of a contract which was illegal for this person to be forced to sign. And he said to him, if you don't, I'm going to keep your checks. And he held back the checks of this guy. And this guy was thinking, you know, he's going to get a lawyer and he's going to call the police because what he's doing is unlawful, it's unjust, and he was going to go after him and he was going to go. And, and he said he talked to somebody that comes here, he talked to Tom, and Tom was telling him about live by the sword, die by the sword, and how there's a better way. And, and so he just made a decision. He said, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust you that you'll show yourself strong in this situation. I'm not going to go after him. I'm not going to do what the world would do. I'm going to actually believe you that you're better and that your way of handling it is better than that. And so he went into work on Monday and he walked to the office and he saw the guy and he said to him, he said, you know, we need to talk. The guy said, there's nothing to talk about. Either sign the contract or get your stuff and get out of here and cussed at him a little bit. And he's turned to leave and he said, in the past I would have returned back to him and told him to blanky blank and all that kind of stuff and slam stuff around and walked out angry and I probably would have grabbed my stuff and cut him out of my life and that would have been the end of my relationship with him. I'd have been out the money and it would have been a huge legal battle and I would have been, you know, in the position of accusing and all these things. And he said, instead, he turned around, he shut the door, he walked over to the man, he got down on his knees in front of him. And he said, peace. And then he grabbed the man's hand. But he grabbed the man's hand and he looked him in the eyes and he said, I'm not running out of here like everybody else has in your life. I'm going to love you and there's nothing you can do about it. 
And he looked up and he said he saw the man and he could see this guy was just hurting and he'd never really been loved and he didn't know how to love. And that rather than walking out and leaving him scarred again and, and, and even building another layer over his heart, he said he got down on his knees in front of the man whom he had every right to take the sword to. And instead of doing that, just like David with Mephibosheth, he had every right to take the sword to Mephibosheth to cut off the, the claim that he would have to the throne. But instead he says, find me someone to show kindness to. He had every right to take the sword to this man and instead he gets down on his knees in front of him and he says god show him how you love him he starts praying for him and speaking the word of god over this man he didn't throw his hands in the air and say what must i do to be saved but their relationship is salvaged the money that was due was given to him they're still in relationship he's still in a position to be able to love him and speak truth into his life where nobody else is and we were talking and he said, you know, I came real close to doing like everybody else has done and, and acting like all the world would do. But something inside me wouldn't let me because I'm not the same person because there's something changed in my life. And I no longer have to live the way that I used to. I no longer have to live by the system of this world. I can trust God. You guys, that makes me want to just run around this church and shout. Because, no, because, because listen, because here's the deal. Nothing can make that happen. Nothing can do that outside of the power of God to transform a man's life. Nothing. And that's what it's all about, is lives being transformed by the truth of God's Word. And that's something that never was, now is. I love you guys so much, and I'm so thankful that I get to shepherd you guys, and that I get to be part of your lives, and that you guys shepherd me at times too, and I'm thankful for it. We love you. We think you're amazing. I love hearing the stories of life, tra life transformation. I love celebrating with you guys when things like that happen. Because honestly, like of all the miracles that you see, a transformed life to me is the most amazing. Because it can't be faked. Nothing can make a man get down on his knees in front of a man who he has every right to be angry with and bring the sword against and tell him, I'm going to love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Only God can do that. We have youth group tonight. Find some people that you don't know. It starts at 6 o'clock. Find some people you don't know before you leave. Say hey to them. Build relationship with them. Get to know them. See the gold in them. Call it out. Draw it out. See the hurt. Speak to that. Whatever the case may be. But find some people you don't know. Say hi to them. And, and we'll see you guys back here next week. Oh, the shower. What time? What day? This Saturday from 1030 to 12:30. We have two ladies who are carrying child. They are with child right now. Yes? Stand up real quick. Stand up. No, come on. You guys, listen. Stand up real quick. Sarah, stand up. Come on. Listen. Look at these, yeah, these amazing mothers that are carrying life inside of them. And we're going to have a shower from 1030 to 1230 this Saturday to bless them and make them all prepared for the babies that are coming and show them how much we love them, how much we care about them, and hang out and have food together and build relationship and bless each other. And that's what the body of Christ is called to do with and for each other. So every one of you ladies is invited from 12.30 to 10.30 uh, to 12.30 on Saturday. We love you guys. Find some people. Bless them before you go. We'll see you back here.